This morning's Old Testament scripture reading is from 2 Samuel, chapter 18, verses 31 to 33. You'll find that on page 344 in your pew Bibles. But first, pray with me. Great are you, Lord, and worthy of praise. We lift our hearts to you. We're thankful for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And with the seeing, change our hearts and our minds that we may be conformed to your image. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 2 Samuel 18, verses 31 to 33. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And he went and said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Thank you, Karen. Story of uh, David and Absalom, the um, death of, of Absalom. David's son, and seeing so many of his own um, flaws in his son, which I think for a lot of parents, it's one of the challenges when we see some of our own flawedness being passed on, and what do we do about that? How do we go about parenting, and not just um, as parents, but society and those that um, we know and care for? Uh, This morning, we are continuing with our series of right relationships. We looked at our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse, and this morning, looking at our relationship with children. And it's uh, been a challenge this week for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes when I'm preaching, just trying to find information is uh, the challenge. And usually when I start with notes of a sermon, I've got somewhere around um, four to six pages of notes that I'm usually working from the beginning. When I started writing and putting the sermon together, I had 13 pages of notes. So um, there's a lot more um, that I've been thinking of. And um, I've got a blog that I sometimes update, and I'll make sure to update this week with some of those um, continuing things if you're intrigued by um, looking at it. And the next week I get to preach again, we're talking about relationships with our fathers. And so I will um, have that opportunity to to share again. And uh, some of those things that didn't make it into this week, we'll make it into next week. Um, and, and the reality is that um, our, um, our roles as parents is not just one if we have kids at home. Um, there's a, a job that we all have as a people of Christ, a people of this church, to love um, children and to love God. As we look at God's word, we see how God works through his um, sinful, broken, and selfish people, which is just like all of us. Um, but his holiness reveals our failures and ultimately, ultimately his righteousness and grace no matter what relationships we look at. In our culture, we view parents as only mom and dad, but in Scripture, the idea was the whole community, and we continue that when we baptize um, children, and we say as a congregation that we will help to raise and nurture and guide these kids in the faith. So uh, whether our kids are old and grown, or whether we don't have children, or we still consider ourselves as a child, 
I believe that God has something to share with us through this word this morning. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, we do thank you for your word and your truth that we can read and understand, and and through your Holy Spirit, we can apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that the words I share would um, just open up your word and your truth in new ways that would encourage and inspire and guide us in your ways. Lord, anything that I share that would be not of your word, that would be quickly forgotten, but that is of your word would be etched in our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, sometimes you might hear people say, and I've heard it before, that I want to have a biblical family. That's kind of, the, of a buzzword that people use of, you know, what kind of family do you want? I want a biblical family. When people say this, I don't think they've read the Bible. Because if I look um, at, at Genesis, just Genesis, here's some of the family dynamics that I read about. Cain killed his brother Abel. Abraham slept with his wife's maid. Lot, Lot's daughter, slept with him. Rebekah had tremendous favoritism for her son Jacob over Esau. Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. Rebekah worked with Jacob to trick Isaac, her husband, into giving Esau's, birthright, er, Esau's blessing to Jacob. And then Jacob was tricked by his uncle Laban into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. And then Joseph's brothers were um, selling him to a group of gypsies and told their father that he was killed by an animal. So do you really want a biblical family? And that's just the first book. Uh, So the good news, because the Bible contains amazing stories about the brokenness of humanity, but also the redemptive power of Jesus to cover the brokenness. Our scripture gets to the New Testament where Paul gives some, uh, some guidance for us and guidance for the church of how do we go about parenting this from uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and you can find it on page um, 1245 of your pew Bible. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That is, that we, it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Paul puts a highlight on two commandments for children with our relationships to our parents. Honor and obey. And when Paul was teaching to these early Christians, there was always that question of, what's the role of the law in light of Jesus Christ. But here he's reinforcing the need for children to obey parents. Virtually all civilizations have regarded the recognition of parental authority as indispensable to a stable society. And Paul continues to echo that. Experts say that parents have an obligation of of teaching our kids human obedience that are part of the um, early stages and and age-appropriate. There's initial obedience that we're teaching Basic safety of what you can eat, what you can eat, what you cannot touch, what you can touch. Social obedience, learning to say please and thank you. Civil obedience, obeying laws, and then religious obedience, which is not really specific to any religion. And these ideas, sometimes um, we mask with Christianity or look at it as Christian ideals, but they're really not specific to Christianity. They can be shared at a PTA meeting, a group of a societal, uh, socially responsible atheists or Mormons. So what are the indicators of Christian parenting? We oftentimes think it's Christian parenting because mom and dad are Christians. And Jesus says in Matthew 7 that you will recognize them by their fruits. So what are these fruits 
of parents. A lot of times we might think we're seeing a fruit when parenting hits a wall or just even working with kids. When we start giving instructions or guidance and then the response isn't, okay, I'll do it, but why? And we try to explain it, but we realize that our explanation can only go so far because the why is, the response is because I said so, and then it goes a little bit further. So we bring in the Bible. Imagine this scenario. Two brothers begin a fight that starts with words and escalates to punching each other. Mom or dad steps in, breaks up the fight, and declares to the instigator, instigator, you must love your brother. And the brother responds, but I can't love my brother. The response is, oh, yes, you can, and you will. The Bible says you have to, so you can. But does this demonstrate the grace that Christ came to give us? Paul doesn't leave us with only obey, which sometimes is where we leave it off. He tells us that we need to honor our parents. The movie Parenthood came out several years ago with Steve Martin. is a great movie. It has a great dynamics of the challenges of parenting and priorities and things. We're going to watch a short clip that um, takes a little piece of, of, of Steve Martin's character as he has a vision of how honor might look like for he and his family. All right, uh, we're going to need a new second baseman now. Which one of you outfielders wants to try second base? Huh? Huh? How about you, Kevin? You want to try second base? Okay. All right. Oh. Oh, Matt, come on, none of that. We're a team. Let's be a team. Now, come on, get out there and hustle. Let's go. Huh? Kevin, remember, the word is fun. So just go on out there, and what you catch, you catch, and what you miss, you miss, okay? Okay, Dan. to introduce our valedictorian, Kevin Buckman. Thank you. You know, when I was nine years old, I had kind of a rough time. A lot of people thought I was pretty mixed up. But there was one person who got me through it. He did everything right. And thanks to him, today, well, I'm the happiest, most confident, and most well-adjusted person in this world. Dad, I love you. You're the greatest. Unfortunately, I think our idea of honor on an earthly uh, 
uh, venue is something like that, thinking that if we do everything right, one day there will be that public pronouncement by our children that we have been deserving of that honor. It's Paul reinforcing the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And the Ten Commandments are an important part of our lives, and a lot of times, though, our preaching in today's churches gets to be what, um, what, what um, experts call second tablet preaching. We have our first five um, commandments and the second five, and the first five commandments instruct our relationships with God, and the last five focus on our relationships with others. But because of this, much of our preaching and things that we learn in the church becomes advice on how to become better, looking at those second, uh, that second tablet. And oftentimes the job of the preacher in our culture is reduced to giving advice with the unwritten expectation that the preacher is doing it better. Well, I stand before you and say, I don't know if I'm much better than anyone else. I um, need the saving grace of Christ in my preaching, in my parenting, in all that I do. But this idea of honoring parents is on that first tablet on that first tablet that has to do with our relationship with God. And it's not a mistake because the reality is that our, our relationship with God is important because part of our role as parents is to represent God to our kids. And not just those who have biological sons and daughters, but all of us as the adults, as the leaders within the church. But this is a challenging thing because all of us, as we might say that children need to honor us, we have a tough time with this. Because we know our brokenness, we know our flaws, we know our sinfulness. And over time, kids see our brokenness and how undeserving we might be of honor. But then also we realize that we're addicted in a lot of ways to getting honor. We present ourselves to kids and to others as being honorable because we fear if they know our true brokenness, they won't listen or want to follow us. We try to hide these sins and mistakes. And the desire to hide our sins and mistakes, not only from our kids, but others, is something that's been going on for a long time. When Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, they used a fig leaf to cover their nakedness. What did God do? He gave them clothes made of animal hide, much more functional, much more practical. And oftentimes, though, we still today don't use fig leaves, but we use our own accomplishments, along with our kids' accomplishments, to hide our inadequacies, to hide our brokenness. In this effort, our goal in parenting and raising kids becomes this idea of raising good kids. Kids who graduate high school, who have said yes to Jesus, accepted into a good college, have the virginity, and have not used a lot of alcohol. Now, I'm not advocating that we go against the the scripture that we continue to um, teach behavior that's good. But these goals have merits, and there are many excellent books and experts that do a great job of helping us as parents and adults to help navigate the challenges our children face. But these books, and sometimes our teaching, tends to emphasize more of our obedience than it does to teach the love of Jesus Christ. Only focusing on the outward appearance and outward actions of our kids leads to good kids who oftentimes don't know Jesus. So how do we allow our parenting and our role as adults to cultivate a genuine love of Jesus Christ? Kara Powell, one of the pioneers of sticky faith, uses the analogy of judging um, Christian actions like a jacket, a Jesus jacket that kids might put on and off. And when we teach that faith is only good behaviors without shepherding the heart, transformation doesn't take place. Behaviors can be taught 
but changes in the heart require transformation over time. And without a heart transformation, kids are lacking this well of mercy that God gives to us, that we're able to draw upon when we face isolation, failure, despair, and disappointment. The law teaches us truth, which is important, but the law misses the heart. John Stott, a great uh, theologian and teacher, says that one, our, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth goes hard and if it is not softened by love. Our kids need the truth of the gospel, the truth of the law, but they also need to know the love of Jesus Christ. And too often we're teaching that good works can hide our sinfulness, can cover that up, which is what Paul is teaching against here. Because Paul knew that we could not live up to the law no matter how hard we tried. Martin Luther gives a great, um, great understanding of this, this balance. And it says, the law says do this, and it is never done. And grace says believe in this, and everything is already done. We don't need a fig leaf, animal skin, or our kids' accomplishments, our own accomplishments to cover up our sins. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. Paul does not only say to obey your parents, but it's the expectations that parents are in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel, the, the truth of the gospel can change our parenting. What's the key? The key is being honest with our kids, being honest with those we walk with. Are we willing to let our kids see our mistakes, our brokenness, and our sinfulness? My own parenting is not perfect. And it's been going through a transitional stage in the last um, well, the past years, but I've really seen some differences recently. Where I used to see my role as a parent, and if I kind of could give two titles to it, it was that I thought I was the investigator and the exposer. <laughs> when one of my sons, and I have three wonderful sons, when they would do something wrong, I would work to find out the details of what they had done. So they had no choice but to eventually give me a full confession. It was similar to the parenting skills of my father. And I realized over time that this is a common way that people see God. They think that God knows our sins and sees our sins, but he won't forgive them unless they come clean. So a lot of times we as people spend more time hiding from God, thinking that maybe he won't find us. Or we feel like we've done stuff that's so bad, there's no way he could love us. So what was I teaching to my kids? Scripture tells us that we have a God who pursues us like the hound of heaven. There's nowhere that we can go that he isn't there. We can't out his grace for us. So what was I teaching my kids? Thanks be to God, I've begun to see my role a little bit differently in the past year or so. And instead of being the investigator and the exposer, I, I would try to see myself as the lover and the guide. There are times when I fall back to my old patterns, but when I know that one of my sons has made a mistake, I'll confront him, come to him, find them where they are. First chance I had to be with him one-on-one. And the first thing I'll say to him is, I love you. And I say to him, I love you no matter what. And I let him know I'm disappointed in whatever it is they've done. But then I also let him know that what they're struggling with is um, something that I want to help them whether it's their mom, myself, teachers, whatever, friends, that I want to help them in making changes. 
And I've found that oftentimes the things that they're struggling with are similar things that I have either at one time or another struggled with or that I'm facing a similar struggle. And in this environment, I'm able to share my brokenness. I'm able to share to them the point of, uh, and point them to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm no better because of the good things I do, no worse because of those bad things in the eyes of Christ. He's the one who pays the, paid the price for my sin. And it's amazing to see the way that my relationship with my sons has changed over time of seeing this difference in the role that plays. I recently ran into an author named um, Elise Fitzpatrick who uh, helps expose some of the differences between Christian parenting and giving our kids the gospel. In her book, Parenting with Grace, which she co-wrote with her daughter, Jessica Thompson, she shares some great advice, great um, scenarios of how do we interject the grace of God in with our parenting. The scenario that I shared at the beginning of the sermon about the two brothers fighting was part of, was really Jessica's story. And she presents a way that we can give the gospel to our kids and to others, not just kids, but others, in the midst of conflict. And here's the scenario, the two brothers who have fought. One brother says, I can't love my brother. The Christian response isn't, oh yes, you can and you will. The Bible says you have to and you, and the Bible says you have to, so you can The Christian response is more along these lines. I can't love my brother. Exactly. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Because it shows me that God is working in you. It is true that God commands you to love your brother, but you can't. That's the bad news. But that is not all the news there is. The rest of the news is exciting. You can't love your brother like God is asking you to, so you need a rescuer to help you. And the really great news is that God has already sent one. His name is Jesus. Jesus perfectly loved you and perfectly loved his brothers brothers for you, fulfilling the law to love in your place. If you believe in him, he doesn't punish you the way you're punishing and beating up your brother. Instead of punishing you, he took all the punishment you deserve when he died on the cross for you. He knows how angry you are. He knows that there are times that you are hateful and selfish with your brother. But he has loved you in spite of your sins. And because of this, because of the way you have been lavishly loved, if you believe in him, you will grow to love your brother more and more. Because of Jesus alone, because of what he has already done for you, you can learn to love if you believe that he will be that loving to you. But you'll never be able to do this on your own. Now, granted, that's the edited, refined version. But how many times do we allow the gospel to penetrate our teaching, for the gospel to recognize and reveal our brokenness? Paul said that um, kids need to obey our parents when in Jesus. So how in my relationship with my kids, my spouse, and everyone I encounter, are they affected by the root of my relationship with Jesus Christ? Peter asked about my um, title of the sermon, Simple Steps for Perfect Parenting. The first thing was Mythbusters. Because the reality is there's no simple steps for perfect parenting. But I think there's more of the importance of looking at steps for being followers of Christ. Steps for living in the gospel that Jesus Christ has given to us. So many times we get fixated on the outward appearances. 
the things that people say, the thing that people eat, drink, and do, and we miss seeing those, those uh, changes of our heart. So there are th- two things that I really see that daily I need, and daily I think that all of us need. There's two parts of the gospel that we all need, and the th- first reminder that I need is that I'm worse than I think I am. I make comparisons, look at other people, and believe I have it all together. Think that I'm spend more time with my kids than some people, get to be a, spend time more intentional with my wife than other people, and I feel pretty good about myself. But then I'm drawn to the scriptures, and I see how broken and flawed I am. And that leads me to the second reminder that I need every day, and that is that God's grace is more than I need. I'm reminded when I see how broken I am, but also how amazing God's love and grace is for me. And when I begin with that, when I reminded myself of that throughout the day, of how much God's grace has covered my sin, how much God has filled my brokenness, changed the way I love my kids, the way I love my wife and others. The greatest gift I've ever received is the grace of God. And I daily need to be reminded of this. This is the greatest gift I can give to others, and our children need to be reminded of that too. Because the reality is, at the core, all of us are God's children. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, we do thank you that you love us, not as we deserve, but as you lavishly pour out your love and your grace upon us. Dear God, we pray that wherever we are in life with, a, with children in our house or children that we, um, we, we see and have contact, contact with or just in our regular daily life, that you would help us to see how the wellspring of our relationship with you the grace and forgiveness, what a difference that makes. And Lord, we just want to run to the law to say this is right and wrong. That we would also remember the love of your son, the love that grace gives us, the love and forgiveness that is there. God, for any parents that are in this room with kids still at home, I pray that you would just give them that uh, blessing, that um, amount of patience to not only um, guide them and direct them, but to teach them and to show them your love in the way that they guide their kids. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.